0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. My name is Jack, and in this episode, I sat down with Heather Litwin, who is a genealogist and also the host of the Icelandic Roots book club. If you are not a member of Icelandic Roots and haven't yet experienced the book club, I would highly recommend it. Heather is able to get on some very noteworthy authors, such as... Eliza Reid, who is the first lady of Iceland, or other noteworthy authors such as Nancy Mary Brown. Uh, And just in general, the book club has very interesting and insightful conversations and discussions around books relating to Icelandic history and culture. So in this episode, naturally, we discuss the book club, genealogy, and many other topics. So I hope you all enjoy. Okay, Heather, thank you for doing this podcast with me. Uh, I usually start out conversations uh, talking about the genealogical connections uh, found out through the Icelandic Roots database. And so depending on who I'm interviewing or who we're talking with or about, um, I would like to like figure out my relationship to the person I'm interviewing or if we're talking about some famous Icelander like, say, Stefan G. Stephenson for example. It's always very cool to go into the database and to figure out how I'm related to him or how our co-hosts are related to him. But instead of doing that with you here, I would like to ask you a question, and maybe you can share some background about this really cool thing that you did when we were in Iceland on the 10th anniversary Icelandic Roots Tour, which is you handed out this sort of like a postcard to everybody on the group, and uh, on the back of it, it had, uh, for those listening that are not familiar with Icelandic Roots, you get a Icelandic Roots number, which is, you know, how people find you in the database if you don't want to look up the name. So on the back of it, it had your Icelandic Roots number, your name, of course, then some family information, and then all of your descendants or a bunch of your descendants and their Icelandic Roots number. And you said something like, uh, let's see how we're related. Let's see how we're connected. But you handed that out as like a physical postcard for everyone on the tour. So I thought maybe you could share a little bit about that as we get started in the conversation here.
1: Okay, so it's actually ascendance, not descendants, right? Uh, Yeah, right. Do you want to do that Yes,
0: right. Going backwards. Yeah. Do you want to go backwards? No, that's okay. Okay.
1: Okay, So what happened with those cards was uh, years ago, we did a family reunion in in Gimli, and we had a bunch of people coming from different parts of the country, and uh, I had made a big poster of pictures from my dad and his brothers, the Goodmans, and then... uh, from a 1964 trip to Gimli, I'd taken a picture of where my dad had lived and uh, made a whole bunch of copies of them. It was on a... Oh, actually, my dad had taken the picture and there was a slides and I had made about 30 copies of them thinking people might want one. Mm. And, uh, you know, if they did, they could sign up and, and, and I'd mail it to them. And then I had a whole lot of them left over. So when I was getting ready to go to Iceland, I found those and I thought... Well, this would be perfect because we're taking turns being tour guides and mm-hmm. I can give them information on the back. So I typed it up and ran it off because my handwriting terrible. And also I had a little bit of blurb about the actual house. Mm. So my dad had said that uh, there was him and his uh, older brother and his younger brother living there with his mom who worked at Betel. And uh, he told me in an interview that I did with him one time that um, the, at one time there was something like 17 Hendricksons and... Uh, or Henderson's and mm. um, and Goodman's there. And uh, I had contacted someone that was related to the Hendrickson family. And one of his uh, aunties had married a Hendrickson. So it was sort of interesting. And I, I also had a family picture from my uncle Stan in Ottawa. And it was taken around 1922. And that's also when Henrik Hendrickson died. Mm. And I thought this big picture of the whole family out near out in Gimli. Uh, must have been taken around the time of the funeral. Mm. So then I thought, well, that's probably also when they all landed along in Gimli at mm. my dad's home. Mm. So the, the family connections for me, because of Icelandic roots, were made possible because Nelson Gerrard directed us towards some information about my dad's birth mother we didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then through Icelandic Roots, I was able to trace her past Mm -hmm. and um, as a result can make connections on who I am related to, which Mm -hmm. is pretty exciting. And uh, I've learned a lot through research about people I never met. Mm -hmm. And my dad's uh, adoptive mother had several siblings, and I traced them all and found out where they lived. And I did this thing for a while. It was a virtual reality email. And it started out with just my sister and her three kids, my three kids and two cousins. And it ended up being about 30 people that I was connecting with as we went. Okay. So that was a really thing. Uh, One thing I did was I did a virtual reality. One of the examples of that was to go to the different places. And I showed pictures on the email.
2: Yeah.
1: uh, That was during the COVID. And then saying, well, this is where they lived and this is what they did at the (laughs) time. This guy was working for uh, this job or that job. So... Yeah, the more you learn as a detective, yes. it's like discovery. <laughs> oh, I found out something and no one else is really interested. Their eyes glaze over and you say, mm-hmm. I just found out they worked for, you know, the CNN. And they go, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> Only those people that have found it out for themselves are uh-huh. thrilled, right? Mm. The less you know, mm. the more small details you find out, the more mm-hmm. exciting.
0: Mm. Okay, yes, very cool. Uh, thanks for sharing that. And it's it's uh, neat how... Yeah, you can just gather everything together in such a nice and easy to figure out way and then have everyone's Icelandic Roots number and then you can give that out. And then someone like myself on this tour, connecting with all of the other Icelandic Roots volunteers, we can just plug that in and then start tracing our relations to each other. It's really so dynamic and incredible. Uh, Beyond that, I would like to move to something I'm most interested in discussing with you here, which is uh, the Icelandic Roots Book Club. Uh, So for those listening, uh, that is one of your main things with Icelandic Roots beyond uh, how you've been able to trace all your genealogy and figure that out through the database. You also run the Icelandic Roots Book Club program. So I am curious when this first started. Um, And just a bit more background information, how you got involved with that side of uh, Icelandic roots.
1: Well, around the last spring, I had this idea that from watching Sam tell that maybe we could uh, have authors come on. And uh, I approached that with uh, Judy and she was like more, she wanted to detract from the chance that there was conversations on a number of topics that were mm-hmm. happening here and there. And so then I approached Suna and it turned out that Suna had this idea Several years before, two or three years before, she actually designed a logo or logo. How do you say that? Logo. Logo. Mm -hmm. For a possible book club. So when I said to her, would she like that idea? She thought it was brilliant. Mm. And then she said, who would you like to work with? She was thinking of people that could help. And I went, I actually work better alone. I'm good with that. (laughs) So what was beautiful was Suna gave me... Full charge. Like, mm. no, there's no micromanaging in Icelandic groups. She mm-hmm. finds people that want to do something and she lets them go. And I would run by sometimes ideas, but uh, she was all for me, you know, being on my own. Mm. And then I had the idea from living near a, a bookstore, McNally Robinson in Winnipeg, that uh, you could do it as a book launch. So I had a few authors that I thought I might be able to contact. So that's where it began. And I uh, actually the very first uh, author uh, Suna was in contact with uh, the first lady of Iceland and that was our launch pretty uh, big, big deal right Eliza and, Reed. Yeah. and that
0: was the secrets of the sp- Spacker? Spacker yeah
1: yeah yeah yes. which was an amazing book about extraordinary women in Iceland mm-hmm. and then there was a nice connection because she's originally from Ontario right so uh, that was our launch and then um, after that Uh, I was able to contact enough writers and authors so that I started it out with a book launch. When we did the one from people in Iceland because the book club's at 7 o'clock, we sometimes pre-taped. Yes. Uh, We did that uh, a couple of times, but we actually managed people to stay up to midnight their time for (laughs) some later. But we wanted to have authors from Iceland and Canada and the States and try to mix them up so Mm -hmm. that we realized that people from different areas... Those that immigrated, those that stayed uh, in Iceland would be represented, yeah, and so I with the book launch idea, I always tell people you can come and listen to the telecast or the, the zoom without ever reading the book mm-hmm. because we have a common thing, and that is interest in anything Icelandic, yeah, so you know people who haven 't read the book yet will say well, i haven 't read the book yet, but uh, this is the observation I made, mm-hmm. so everybody 's welcome, and their comments are encouraged, so mm-hmm. what we do is the, at the very beginning, I do a brief introduction of the author, of the author and then I have the author introduce some, maybe something about the writing process or the book itself, and then have them read like you do in a book launch you know for five or ten minutes an exit from the book. And then following that, I ask one question. And uh, I've started where I send them the six questions in advance. So then they can pick the one that they are, think would be the most interesting to respond to mm-hmm. or the one that least. And then mm-hmm. I say, well, the other questions are just for backup in case we have a quiet audience. But yeah. we never have a quiet audience. <laughs> and uh, being a you know a retired high school English teacher, I'm pretty good at saying um, you know, John, wouldn't you like to say something? Or, you know, uh, Peggy, would you like to say something? Mm-hmm. Because I know they're going to have really interesting observations, and that will cause the conversation to, to blossom. Yes. And uh, the what everybody loves most is meeting the authors, because some of them hadn't been to a book launch before, mm-hmm. and they thought it was so exciting to talk about the writing process. Mm-hmm. And so that's my biggest... Um, uh, takeaway from it is that people really enjoy talking to authors about their books and mm-hmm. about the things that maybe they've heard of before so you find out information such as uh, from one of algerson's books we talked about how coffee was uh, acceptable to the icelanders but if they were trying to amalgamate they sometimes drank tea <laughs> so that they could fit in mm-hmm. and uh you know from another book we learned that uh Uh, Coffee was actually encouraged to be brought into Winnipeg when a lot of Icelanders immigrated here. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm. So
1: I I find that uh, everybody's very keen to talk about multiple aspects of these books and relate them to their own knowledge.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And you've had some really noteworthy authors on the book club. Like it's really genuinely impressive. Uh, I think if I could like interview half of those people on podcasts, that would be like really quite the accomplishment. Uh, and you have an upcoming one semi soon here with Nancy Mary Brown right. who uh is yeah really prominent uh author uh about different icelandic things so i'm not sure if maybe you could maybe say a few words about her books and sure and yeah her
1: most recent one is looking for the hidden folk Mm -hmm. and uh that's just coming out now Mm -hmm. and uh maybe we can have her back to talk about that'd be really interesting Mm -hmm. uh the one we're doing is uh was inspired to her when they discovered quite recently that a woman who uh, a person who was seen as a a very successful viking because Mm -hmm. they buried the person in uh, uh, with a lot of things that would signify that the, this was a very brave and valuable leader. Mm-hmm. And they just recently found out from DNA, test. Oh, and it wasn't DNA, it was a different kind of testing that yeah. from the bones, right. that this was a woman. Uh-huh. And it broke uh, a lot of stereotypes that all the Vikings were men. Mm-hmm. And uh, although, um, so the, so part of the inspiration for her was to... Uh, talk about people's expectations of gender and how they change and and how they initially maybe were freer with letting people find things that they were interested in Mm -hmm. and good at Uh, you know it's like the difference between the athlete and the bookworm so uh, there's a lot of issues and a lot of topics in the, the book that I think will generally I try to come up with about six possible questions and for that I came up with 10 and then (laughs) made myself stop because there's so much in it right and I think people really enjoy meeting her she's very dynamic and and she's originally not Icelandic but learned Norse so Mm -hmm. I'm in awe Mm -hmm. and then she uh, started she was initially an editor for a very prominent um, university publication and then when after she wrote her first book which was about buying an Icelandic horse in Iceland Mm -hmm. then she switched to books and in the last She's written like nine books that are amazing and Mm -hmm. that have a lot of acclaim. She wrote one about Snorri. Right, yeah. What's the last name? Sig, Sig, Uh,
0: how do you pronounce it? Snorri, hmm. I don't know why I'm wanting to say Thorvaldson. Yeah, that's uh,
1: wrong. It's Sig something.
0: No. uh, Anyway. Well, there's Snorri Sturlson, who was the author of of The The Psyche. Uh, oh, I see. Did she write about him too? No,
1: I think it was. This was a, a Snorri born in, in North America writer. That uh, no, this is a saga oh, writer oh, Snorri yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. The, and it got a lot of acclaim because there were several books that were discussed that were in the same kind of. Topic area and yeah. and hers was seen as the most mm, significant.
0: Right, yeah. So
1: she's she's going to be a really interesting person to, to for people to meet
0: and talk yeah, to. No, no, certainly. And when is that one? November second. Okay, it's always so a, that's usually the, the first very,
1: Thursday of the, the, the month. next one. So mm-hmm. I think it's the 2nd mm-hmm. I
0: don't have okay. a calendar with me. Yeah, maybe you could talk about the previous one then too that you just did for burial rights where you weren't actually able to get the author on for that. But I think that's a good example that even if It isn't the author coming on for the book club. There's still a very interesting conversation to be had. Uh, And for that, when you had Suna come on to talk a bit about the book, and that was mainly because we had toured the uh, physical uh, location uh, where the beheading happened, which is what the book Burial Rites is covering. And they have a really cool interpretive sort of outdoor museum almost at that location. And that was very unique because we all went there as a group. Um, But then that was also the book that you were covering for that month as well. So maybe you can share a little bit about burial rites, too.
1: Right, burial rice is interesting because the author was a Rotary exchange student from Australia and uh, she went to Iceland and in the course of it heard about this execution and became fascinated with it and then did research for quite a few years afterwards, not just about Iceland at the time of the execution, which was 1830, but also other parts of Europe so she had an yeah. idea what people ate and what they did and what their mm. lifestyle was like. So it was quite a remarkable no- first novel of hers. I wasn't able to contact her, she's written a couple of books since and I'm- Of course, sometimes people are so busy with tours, Mm -hmm. but, uh, Suna had, it had a significant impact on her life because, uh, it came to her from, uh, one of the uh, authors from the States and an Icelander, uh, Suna, Christina Sunley, who, uh. Uh, sent her a copy of uh, burial rights on tape because you know, it was too ill to read at the time mm. and uh, so it made a big impact on her later she read it and what happened was when I first arrived in Iceland for the tour I made a point of going to the National Museum the very first day I was there mm-hmm. I dropped off myself at the hotel and off <laughs> I went because I had read on the back of the book that the actual axe for the beheading to be heading and uh, the uh, whatever stone like the, or tree uh, that was used was uh-huh. uh, being kept there because it was the last execution in Iceland. So uh, I was all excited to get pictures of that thing. It would be interesting when we did the book review, the book club, And then, lo and behold, a bus driver told us that, uh, you know, we could go to this location that soon had been there before, but it hadn't Mm -hmm. been made into this sort of tourism place where the stories we told, and actually some of the quotes in the plaques were, at least one, was from Mm -hmm. the author, uh, Hannah's book. Mm -hmm. And so that was really powerful to be there and think about all the witnesses that were commanded to Mm -hmm. see it and uh, how desolate it was. It had a big impact on everyone, Mm -hmm. impressing but in, but a way of sort of seeing how uh, when we read about these things or we are in the location of them, uh, it makes it so much more real.
0: Yeah, I think there's a few different things I want to try to tie into that. This example is uh, going from a book and from that book, we've read it within this community and you have a book club around it, but then getting together in person when we had the physical tour of Iceland we all stopped there and as a group went along uh, this site and has all these interpretive signs so you're there and physically learning about it and then they have a replica of the axe that's there kind of in the chopping block um, to to signify uh, that that's where it took place and so this kind of tied in all these different ways of learning and connecting to something and then you actually get this additional piece through Icelandic roots where then you can also trace your relations to these different people mm-hmm. that are a part of uh, of this historical story. So there's all these different bits of being able to connect to a story, reading the book, learning about it that way, discussing it within a community, going to the physical location, and then also maybe most profound of all, being able to see like how close you are related to these actual historical figures. So I think that's a really cool story that illustrates how to immerse yourself in a story or how to really become educated about something, hitting it from multiple different angles to learn about. Uh, And I I said this in the uh, book club, and I'll say it again here, something that also inspired me about burial rites. What's the author's name again? Hannah Kent. Hannah Kent, is that she was, like you said, someone who came to Iceland is like a cultural exchange sort of program and she's from Australia. And so she discovered this story told to her like by I think the homestay people she was living with. And she learned about this story about the last beheading in Iceland and she took it upon herself to write about it. And then lo and behold, it's become a bestseller and a really impactful book. And you mentioned that she had studied other aspects of Europe in the Middle Ages. And a lot of comments I heard during the book club is people found that this book really gave so much detail about what it was like to live during that period, Uh, living in the turf houses and uh, and just the human dynamics, being a woman during that time period. And then, of course, getting involved in this sort of murder mystery kind of dynamic uh, that she really captured all of that very well. Uh, But to me, what was inspiring is that he was someone who wasn't from this place, wasn't from Iceland and learned about this story and took it upon herself to be the one to write it into a book Mm -hmm. and to put it out there into the world and to capture this story for people to learn about. So I was quite inspired because being a younger person trying to find their way in the world... (laughs) Uh, you often wonder, like, where can I make an impact? What can I do? Like all the best stories have been told already, or all the history has already been written. But no, that's totally not true. And you could just happen to be the person that stumbles across a historical story. And it could be that could be your job. Now that's your job to write this story and to put it out there in the world. So I was quite inspired by just how she stumbled upon uh, this and made it into the book as it is. So
1: At the time, she was wondering if she should be an author, and she wanted to do that all her life and had had some encouragement. But she had a teacher in high school that said, oh, that's way too impossible. So one Mm -hmm. of the reasons she did the Rotary Exchange was to decide if that's who she was. And then uh, a teacher in her class saw that she was uh, uh, writing poetry and so gave her a book about poetry that had to do with nature in Iceland. And that really made her inspired also, and so... The whole story that captured her and the experience of being there caused her to realize, yes, I have to be an author. Right. Uh, when we had the book club, uh, Suna put together a PowerPoint that really helped people, too, with the visuals. Mm-hmm. So she had a PowerPoint of the maps and a PowerPoint of some of the places that we'd seen with pictures that we'd taken along the way at the actual site and uh, from the museum. So those things helped help people, too, who hadn't read it yet uh, get a real good handle on it.
0: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's a very interesting. And again, just a good example how even if it isn't the actual author on the book club, you can still have a really insightful uh, um, conversation around the book. And uh, Suna gave a wonderful presentation for that. Are there any other book clubs from the past that stand out to you uh, that have been impactful for you or that you thought really resonated with people?
1: Well, it's interesting. When I was living in Flim Fly I didn't even know book clubs existed. And I had okay. a friend that we'd pass books back and forth. And we might write comments on and say, oh, yeah, that's interesting what that person said. <laughs> and uh, one time I was at an in-service in Cranberry Portage, and someone was talking to book club. And I went, book club? There's book clubs? <laughs> I had no idea. I did join one when I first came to Winnipeg. Mm. But I think that uh, the thing that probably made a more of an impact on me was, like I said, going to book Launches, yeah. I love that. Mm-hmm. And like now at uh, McNally and all over the world, we can see online mm. um, interviews of Hannah Kent online. Yeah. And you can see interviews of, of Nancy Mary Brown online. Yes. So there are these interviews that really uh, are valuable. Mm-hmm. And when they talk about the, the process of the writing and what inspired them and where the hurdles were, mm. I find that fascinating. So I think it's more the idea of being in contact with the author as much as... As the bo- you know, which ha- makes the book more interesting, more real.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm
1: interested in the process of writing. Yes, and I remember when I, I read one place that. Um, Steinbeck used to write early in the morning mm. and that was where he was really uh, he'd be writing like East of Eden and then he would do other things in the day and I think all the, through the day his mind would still be there
2: mm. and another
1: Canadian author I read where he would write till, from midnight on mm-hmm. so the whole process about when you write and where your discipline is and how you're driven to it yeah I'm fascinated by that and and I think it's the almost all of us have a story that we could write
0: yeah yeah. and we just don't get to it yeah yeah
1: and i guess that's part of my idea too is that almost everyone has a book in them Mm -hmm. at least one yeah and uh, maybe they'll be inspired when they see these people to write like you know we have lots of people even in the icelandic roots who have produced novels and and they are inspired and then when they write one they try i'm going to do another one Mm -hmm. so i think that that aspect of the writer is really interesting to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think it can inspire people. And even if it's not a book or just an article, right. Mm -hmm. We had just visited the Logberg Heimskringla office just about an hour ago. And uh, it's, yeah, I've had a article or two published in there now, and it's very cool Well, I was telling you this, right, I had read my article uh, through the digital copy once it got published last month, Uh, but then here you had a physical copy of that paper with my article in it and being able to read it physically and holding the newspaper really gave like a different experience and I almost felt like I was reading something from someone else. Uh, so it was quite cool, uh, but also, of course, being able to write articles for the Icelandic Roots blog as well is a great resource for all these different people that, like you said, I, and I agree with this as well, I think everyone, without a doubt, has a story within them, multiple stories. It's actually kind of overwhelming <laughs> how many uh, stories people have, and if it's not a story, it's an idea or it's a perspective on the world that you have to, to share that can be valuable to other people. And I also am very interested in the writing process as I try more and more to, uh, become involved in writing myself. And I always kind of flip flop on the idea of, I think that I do my best writing in the morning, drinking coffee, having quiet time to read and to write, but also in the evenings as well, I find. And I've been discovering this more and more lately, having these kind of late night writing sessions. And this was Stefan G. Stephenson's thing, uh... I forget there was an Icelandic word for this, but it essentially, oh, what is it now? I'm totally blanking. It's also the title of his biography written by Víthar, uh which is uh, something nights, wakeful nights, wakeful nights. Right. And so that was his whole thing is he would stay up quite late into the night. And that's when he wrote a lot of his poetry, if not all of his poetry. And so there was something about, yeah, maybe morning or late at night being able to write as well. So...
1: Well, one of the things that we were both struck by at the uh, at the paper office there is the sadness that so many papers are struggling to keep alive and so it 's a good reminder for us to write those stories down and contribute them mm-hmm. so that people want to read them and to you know be a member of of uh, newspapers or be a subscriber to uh Icelandic roots so that things keep perpetuating yes, and that all the work and the research that 's been done isn 't lost like right today we learned that all uh, the old uh, the former publications of the paper have been hard put into a hard uh, cover yeah they've been binded bond, and, yeah bind yeah. and put to the universities which yeah. will always be there mm-hmm. and uh you know so we all want to be mindful of the fact that we want things to last that yes. are valuable and this these papers initially there was a sort of conservative and a liberal paper mm-hmm. that the Icelanders produced and it was in Icelandic and then it changed to English and then it was uh every every week and Mm -hmm. then it was two weeks and Mm -hmm. like they're always worried about downsizing because people think oh it'll always be there but maybe it won't and maybe we need to support these kinds of things so they will stay in existence Mm
0: -hmm. yeah and i know within icelandic roots we've been thinking about maybe being able to like publish books based on the most interesting or most uh popular blog posts that are on the icelandic roots newsletter And yeah, I think it's a really great opportunity that people can just public publish uh, blog posts or put things out online. Uh, You don't have to like submit articles to newspapers to get your stuff published. But then again, you kind of miss out on a bit of that magic if you can't have something physical in your hands. And I know we've been talking about books and the difference between reading uh, through like a Kindle, through an ebook, versus having a physical copy in your hands. And I think there really is a difference uh, in in both approaches. Uh, so it's uh, interesting to think about.
1: Those of us who have, you know, seen, uh, just give me some ideas. Mm-hmm. Those of us who have been lucky enough to look at the database mm. know that, It's superior to anything else out there. Mm -hmm. But if we don't continue to contribute pictures, autobiography, or storylines, future generation Mm. information, if we don't continue to contribute uh, and we don't continue to volunteer... Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Like on the one hand, you think, well, it's maybe not a good idea to suggest to someone that won't exist forever,
0: but it yeah. won't. <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's, it's true. You, know?
1: you don't want to say, oh, well, why bother? It's not going to be here. not going to look after it. See, that's the danger of that side.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. But we, but well, then what is it? Suna always says, so that you can record your story for future generations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's and okay. And this reminds me of what, well, what this is inspiring me to think about. And uh, it is something that we had just talked about when we were having a tea at the Leaf in Winnipeg, which was how, if you think about this generation and this time period now, today, it could almost be summarized as this is the most connected and also the most disconnected sort of time period.
1: I like that. That's a good way to end
0: mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. whole thing. Yes, yes. Go there. So, okay. <laughs> uh, I'll maybe preface that that's by saying just that... Uh, Heather here has been wonderful in hosting me. I've been in Winnipeg no. for the last two days <laughs> and I'll then meet up with Owen Roberts oh, yeah, later yeah. today. And yeah, we're yeah. going to go out to Gimli that and be your conclusion, record a podcast. you going to do the with, thing about the
1: connecting before that. Yes. Be your yeah, okay. So
0: let's go yeah, there. You, you,
1: uh, you finish off.
0: Okay. <laughs> so yes, the idea of this being the most connected and disconnected uh, time period in history, this sort of generation. And I guess to add some context to that, what I mean is that uh, we've never been more connected ever in human history. So what we're doing right now, recording this podcast and all these different online things, it's like connection, right? So we can capture a conversation and now all these other people can listen to it. And then they can also somehow be a part of the conversation. They can leave comments and leave these things. And someone can like right now, it's just you and I sitting in this room. But you have to imagine someone else is listening to this in the future. And they might have some ideas to add to this conversation. And they might send a message to either one of us. Mm -hmm. And somehow this conversation is existing, connected to other people and into the future. So that's a really cool connection. That's a power that we've never had in human history before it was just writing. And even before that, it was not writing. It was just, you know, uh, oral oral conversations. Uh, So we're really profoundly connected in the world, but also in some other way, we're really profoundly disconnected. And I think we're most disconnected in different dynamics of uh, like family connections. Uh, I was just telling you about my Avi, who is 98 years old and living in a care home in the town, Foam Lake, where he is farmed nearby and grew up not too far away. So lived his whole life in this one region and he's traveled the world. He's went to Iceland and spent time in India and Thailand and some other places. Uh, but he's always lived in this region. And so here at 98 years old, everyone in the town knows him. And if they don't know him personally, they just have to tell him a few names and he knows like their parents or their grandparents. So he's really deeply rooted and connected to that place. And I know that that's something that when I'm 98 years old, I am probably not going to have. I don't think I'm going to, I actually think it would be nice to return to the place where I grew up in. But even if I did, I wouldn't know all the people there and it would probably expand. There'd be more and more people living in that region. So it's when I say we're disconnected, I think we're disconnected in that way. It seems almost impossible to have lived in one place your whole life and then to always have that connection to the people and to the place. But then on the other hand, when I'm 98 years old, it's hard to imagine all the connections I'll have made with people all around the world and how I'll be connected with them then. Like, who knows, it'll probably be like holograms or something for us to be able to uh, talk to each other. So it's interesting. And uh, I don't know, it's a really complicated thing to think about to, to place this time period in history. But one thing that I do know is that it does seem very important and crucial to maintain these connections to the past through things like genealogy. Um, And then also being able to capture things of this moment and putting that or allowing that to exist into the future for future generations. So we can start to wrap up this conversation and I would like to have your thoughts and ideas about that and maybe any personal stories or ideas about how it feels being connected to the past and maybe thinking about the future of that.
1: Yeah, for me, like, doing the research on uh, relatives has really been huge because I always thought of myself as having a very small family with a sister 10 years older than me, and really, you know, she was, like, an only child for 10 years, and I was an only child for after that. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Not having a lot of contact. I never knew my grandparents. I never knew... I had some contact with one aunt and maybe one or two uncles, but not a lot. So I always felt like I wasn't really connected to my past. And I grew up in an area where my dad spoke Icelandic but didn't share that with us. And uh, so I, I didn't feel really connected to my... Scottish or Icelandic uh, heritage and when I go and do research and find information that's already on Icelandic roots and add to it then I get all this idea about who these people were and what they went through Mm -hmm. and that helps me figure out who I am yes and I think that's really important and I don't and I also when you find out little details about someone's life then you have an appreciation for what they went through, what they endured, yeah. what they survived, hmm. and it gives you a bigger scope on on the world itself. And I think it's really important that we keep maintaining these records yeah. through Icelandic roots, so that future generations, who right now maybe you know their eyes may gloss over at the fact of well, who cares about people I never met, but later on they might think, well, who were my ancestors, and what mm-hmm. were their challenges, yeah. and then that gives them a perspective on their own lives.
0: Yeah. Yep. And then I think that ties into the future because when you have a better understanding of who you are in this very moment, that helps you to become who you ultimately can be, Mm -hmm. right? I think uh, part of that disconnection piece that people experience today is it, it actually affects your life because if you don't really know who you are and don't really feel connected to your family or the place where you live, you can't really find your place in the world. And then that has a negative effect on like building your future life and maybe having a family in the future or your career and stuff like that. And I think people really do experience that in the world. And it maybe is quite a bit of a problem, actually. Uh, People suffering from just feeling a disconnection when at the same time you're like overly connected to everything. Mm -hmm. So that's a big global problem and maybe a bit more of a philosophical problem, (laughs) but I think there are some real solutions in just being rooted in finding your connections to your family history and then also to your physical location too. And maybe there's some people out there that they just think their family history is just kind of boring and Mm -hmm. they don't get that much from feeling connected to that. So if you don't have that, then at least maybe find a connection to your local history or to your country's history. Or different things like that. And we were talking in the car ride just earlier how it's quite cool in Iceland, actually, because maybe they suffer from this a bit less there. They can trace their country's history to a specific date in a specific time period. And all said and done, it's like about uh, uh, 1,200 years or so. Uh, of their whole country's history so it's like wow you can kind of get a grasp on that Mm -hmm. and and uh, understand that history and then also family connections you know if you're moving away from maybe the small town that you grew up in in iceland and moving into the city you're still always just a short drive away from the town where you grew up in or even if you move elsewhere in the world you can always just return to that one island return to iceland (laughs) and feel connected uh, to your to your family history and hopefully some of us of Icelandic descent can feel that as well even if it's like two generations ago your family was living in Iceland you can still return there and kind of maybe feel like oh yeah this is a place where I'm rooted in so uh, interesting to think about mm-hmm.
1: very nice talking to you thanks so much
0: yes thank you very much Heather uh, and thank you to everyone listening to this and if they would like to get involved in the book club, what would you recommend to them?
1: Uh, just pay attention to the fact that your newsletters sometimes go to junk mail, so watch out for that, uh, or they go to spam. And that you, if you are a member of Icelandic Roots, you are always going to get the information. And, and also, if you uh, just go to the Google uh, uh, Icelandic Roots, you will find old uh, uh, copies of the newsletter. It's there yeah. anyway, even the day after. Mm-hmm. So that's another place to look for it. But uh, you consider that you don't have to read the book but you just have to have an interest in what might be discussed and great. that you have ideas that you could share no matter what the topic or where mm-hmm. it goes.
0: Yeah and I would just finally say that uh, uh, I really encourage people to join the book club as well because you do a really great job of giving everyone the opportunity to voice their opinion or to have a question for the author if they're on and so I find it a really welcoming and uh, creative environment. So thank you for oh, what you nice. do with the book club and thank you once again for the podcast. And personally, thank you for hosting me here in Winnipeg. It's Did been you great. want
1: to say what you're going to do next?
0: What am I going to do next? Yeah, what are
1: you going to do next? This With weekend? what? Well, what are you, what's your next pod, podcast?
0: Yes, Owen and I will be interviewing Nelson Girard, the uh, really well-known historian and phenomenal genealogist. So stay tuned for that episode and everything else to come within the podcast too. And maybe some of the authors that you f- feature on the book club will make an appearance on the podcast also. So thank you all for listening and siawamst.